and welcome to the Conscious Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Ferenger. On this podcast, I interview leaders who are more progressive, more radical. They really stand out from the crowd as leading with a strong philosophy. On this episode, you'll meet Hepsi Pemberton. She's founder of diversity and inclusion consultancy, The Equality Group. We met for the interview in the in-between lockdown stages toward the end of last year, the end of 2020. So it felt like a bit of a treat. And I started by asking her how she got to where she is now. Uh, I've always loved business. I think I, I, I wanted to start my own business sort of before I started my career in a way, I think because of internships that I'd done. I thought it was a great way to do many different things that were very interesting, um, you know, strategy and leading people and you could do a bit of HR and legal. It was, just, I worked in small businesses as an intern. So, uh, but I went, I studied medieval literature at university. And so I got some very wise advice that I should probably go and get some actual training in something that would be useful for business and uh, went into investment banking as my first job, but very quickly realized I, I, I didn't want to be an investment banker. And I, uh, that wasn't actually a long-term career path for me and I got an opportunity to move to New York which I thought was really exciting and worked for a search firm there and then a year later I actually started my first business with a, a business partner who I'd met at that search firm and we started our our firm together and grew it over seven years and then I sold my half of it and during that time I just realized how much I love building and creating businesses and I, I love that early growth stage that sort of conceptualization and testing and you know early stage execution and then I love the team building like building a team that can really sort of deliver on the vision and uh, I started angel investing at the same time so investing into other founders and their businesses too and I've I've continued to do that and with Equality Group the business I'm currently building it's all about increasing inclusion and diversity partnering with firms that believe that is a real driver of strategic growth uh, and it's really about the social sustainability aspect of ESG. And I'm loving the work. It's intellectually fascinating. Uh, we have a great team. We get to work with brilliant clients because we're so aligned on that mission and vision for what business should be like. And it's you know only year three of the business. So I'm really enjoying this stage of growing, you know, the early stage of still growing the business. So that's that's how I am where I am. Yeah. And so what, what sparked the interest in, in inclusion and diversity? Where did that kind of come from, from you to kind of make that your focus for, for this business? Yeah, I think it, ha- um, it runs very much in my personal history as well as professional history. Uh, so um, my parents were missionaries and I spent some of my childhood in Zaire, uh, which is now DR Congo. And, and we also lived in Belgium and we'd moved around the UK when we came back. So I think growing up in different communities and with different people probably opened up my horizons of how diverse the world is and what a, what a strength, what an opportunity that is. And yet the older I got and the more that I was then starting my career, the world looked very much one way. And to be honest, that just didn't make sense to me. And, um, you know, but I, I, you know, a, a woman, but I didn't feel disadvantaged at any point by that. I just thought we should have more people re- representing us in all our leadership positions and across all industries. And um, 
my my mom's a feminist theologian and you know educated all of us really I'm the eldest of five children but all of us on on feminism and human rights and so I I, I grew up with a very sort of strong belief in equality mm. and then through my professional experience in finance and investment management, I, I thought actually that this industry needs more of this. And then when you start to really get to know the research and the science behind the value of sustainability, you realize all the business benefits that come with it, it just, it seems obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you mentioned the word sustainability sort of alongside um, inclusion and diversity. Um, is that sort of more of the drive for you the the kind of the kind of more more sustainable business and 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 it's very interesting having you come sort of through investment banking and maybe through and excuse me if i say anything wrong but excuse, but areas where maybe people haven't been so sustainable and they've maybe like made big risks in life in a traditional way or pre the financial crash when that had a bit mm. of a reputation for that approach and I wonder, was there anything there that you saw that you didn't like that sparked the kind of more interest in more sustainable, more inclusive kind of working yeah, environments? Ways of doing of doing business. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked at Lehman Brothers, so I really saw firsthand, you know, what happened um, in, in the last recession. Yeah, wow, what was that like? <laughs> the results of unsustainable practices. Mm. Um, well... I, they were amazing, incredible people there. And, and some of my longest standing mentors are actually from the bank. It was very entrepreneurial in its culture. Um, and I mean, I was a very young analyst, so not, not privy to everything that was going on by any means. But I, I think, yeah, a lot, a lot of the industry still is, is quite unsustainable, really. Um, unsustainable in the way that it treats its people and treats the environment and I think there's just huge opportunity for firms that put their money to work in things that are sustainable, that are going to look after our world and look after their people. Uh, and I, I just, I think that is a philosophical approach. Mm. And I think it starts very much from a personal internal work. And I think it goes out from there and it's why on the topic of inclusion and diversity we always say you have to look at the top it has to be led by by the leadership and you really have to get buy-in from all the senior people the decision makers because otherwise it's just going to be tinkering around the edges and you're not going to see real the real change Mm. so it might be a bit of a pr exercise a bit of marketing but it's not really meant from the core of the business Exactly, or it could be something that HR is trying to do um, as to the best of their ability, but it's got to come from the top, like any big strategic decision that a business does, saying we're launching this new product or we're opening this new office, saying we're going to lead on inclusion and diversity is 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 just as big a strategic piece. Mm. And and how do you find when you're talking to the CEO or the the, the top people in an organisation like an investment bank, like a big medium-sized technology firm how how are you able to make the influence there what what things are they are making people turn to your organization and actually take this stuff seriously think about the planet think about inclusion and diversity as much as there are other business kind of drivers because i think i'm hearing that you know this needs to be a core business driver Mm. not a side conversation Mm. 
Well, I think this year has shown the risk of not doing it, um, the risk of being left behind, um, the risk of getting it wrong. And I, I, you know, quite a lot of the client conversations that we have are, are with when things might have gone wrong or that that, that risk has become so mm. evident um, and wanting to know what some of the solutions that really work are. And I, we ground everything we do in the academic research. That's really important. And making sure that you're sticking to the data, um, both what is out there in the market, but also for the organization itself, understanding where you're at and then what the gaps are and what you could do about that. So I, I think speaking the language of the investment community, looking at the data and looking at what is the value that we can assign to that and then what is the opportunities for the organization when we put some proper strategy in place. So kind of looking at the bottom line benefits alongside because it's the the good thing to do as human beings. It's yeah. also the business benefits that Yeah, there's this constant up. debate between the business case and the social case. And I, I think it's just like the nature nurture argument. They are both of course essential where you divide the balance will depend probably on your background and potentially on your business but both are incredibly important to to look at and if um, the way that you begin to to do the work is because of the business benefits excellent you'll also i'm sure see the social benefits over time too Mm, i guess you have to mean it though to see the social benefits you have to it can't just be a a it can't just be a bottom line conversation Mm. there has to be a sort of I guess a a human side and like you said these are so intertwined yeah and we're um, talking about humans you know inclusion diversity is is mm. a human centered process a design process a a strategic process yeah Mm. and you said something that with with some of the leaders that that you speak to this is a bit of a personal journey for them about could you say a little bit more about that or talk to that about what, what's going on there for someone maybe in a top role in an organization that's that's kind of becoming a bit more aware or starting to think maybe we better not mow everyone down or maybe we better not pollute in the way we are or, or mm. what what what's happening in a kind of if we're generalizing or maybe there's an example about a shift that they might have a conversation with your organization and start mm. really you know, putting their money where their mouth is in terms of change and Mm. approach. Mm. I mean, I'd love to use specific examples from the clients, but I absolutely (laughs) respect NDAs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But um, let's take the example of um, Satya Nadella, the CEO at Microsoft, who's a fantastic leader and a big advocate of inclusion and diversity. And, And this is completely publicly available information that, Um, that transformation of becoming more inclusive as a leader happened both from personal experience of um, having disability within the family and learning a huge amount from being a parent of disabled child and then reflecting that back into his leadership journey at Microsoft as well as feedback from managers and great mentors on what it really takes to be an inclusive leader. And so I think there's... Uh, just a development process that many leaders go through of what does it really take to lead? What does it take to lead in a year like 2020? And inclusion is absolutely at the heart of that. And there's, you can break that down in many other ways. What, what does an inclusive leadership mean? But it's some of the things I'm sure you talk about a lot in your podcast, but, you know, listening and, you know, developing greater empathy, being collaborative, 
you know, being transparent, great communication, all these skills that are becoming so, so essential to lead today. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, some of the people I work with, I find have just had a child within the last few mm. years. If it's an organisation looking, like I say, it's an SME looking to um, do a lead- leadership development programme. I do find quite often the CEO has had a, a child within the mm. last five years or often like two years. Mm. And I wonder if there is a little bit of a like, um, a bit of, a process there like oh I've mm. you know I've brought this child into the this world and now mm. I'd like people to look after it yeah him or her <laughs> yeah so, um, there's research yeah. that shows that um male managers that have daughters uh, are much more become much more aware of gender bias oh, yeah <laughs> um so you definitely see that I think you know experience is the greatest teacher ultimately mm. so I'm sure that that is where it comes from personal experience but then on the professional or business side you know if you're starting to get negative press commentary or you know more activism within your own firm about what are you actually doing or getting called out on social media this is the stuff that you know boards are paying attention to there's increased shareholder activism as well that we're seeing around these topics so Mm, so pressure in different directions then pressure and experience in different directions yeah Yeah, exactly Mm. so kind of taking this back or stripping back to to you as a a leader and you you mentioned that the kind of team aspect for you is kind of really important Mm. um are there any kind of specific examples or ways in which that you like to kind of demonstrate the, the the things you like to see in your clients or you encourage like how, how do you work as a leader? How does that play out? Mm. Well, I'm first of all quite aware of my strengths, uh, which are also my greatest weaknesses. And that is why I have to be part of a team. <laughs> it's so, so essential. And I, and I so appreciate every, all the strengths of a team that I work with. Um, and how do I demonstrate inclusion? Well, I mean, not as well as I would like to. I think it's one of the hardest things to be truly inclusive. But some of the practices that we have as a team are very open communication um, and regular times to check in as a team. During lockdown, obviously with fully remote working, we decided that we would catch up even more regularly and we actually caught up for 10 minutes every day at the beginning of the day. We brought in place a team meditation practice and we have a lot of different religions in the team. So it's a very inclusive practice, um, which involves, um, and it rotates around the team. People bring an inspirational quote or... um, or just a reflection or an image and then we just have two minutes of silence and I and that's been I think really nourishing for the team and it's evolved just naturally Hmm. so tell me about this this silence thing so people are bringing in something to to share around yeah religion or their yeah not even necessarily around their religion we we very much started it off based on the our values so our values of equality, excellence, empowerment and endurance, and that just is the starting point. But it, it's evolved beyond that. And um, we've had reflections from one of our team members at the time of Diwali um, on the, you know, the coming of light over darkness. And that was particularly significant and going into winter during COVID. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's been some, you know, it's become much more of a, a personal uh, reflection and meditation as well as something that is about our business values mm. Mm. so kind of way of of 
of playing them out, allowing mm. the personal to kind of influence the the workspace there more. Yeah, overtly. Yeah, exactly. And we have had, you know, had more times just do social things together as well, even though it's it's remote and online. You know, we've still been able to do some fun things together mm. and just build connection, build relationship. Mm. And it's interesting. In I've heard quite a lot of people say that that as a leader in their organisation, especially smaller organisations that that I've worked with or spoken to, that they're finding that they're connecting to the personal lives of people more and they are kind of getting closer, although still quite craving some physical <laughs> contact. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how that is for you. You mentioned that open communication is really important mm. um, and regular meetings. Do you feel like the kind of personal professional has kind of come out more and is that... A, a good thing like is that mm. something you'd encourage or I think there 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 have been positives and negatives to it I think it's, it was obviously particularly hard when schools were closed and and I think that put a lot of strain on many many households and I, I think obviously everyone's been working from home we can see into one another's homes and spaces mm. now and 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 that can be good but it can also be quite difficult not mm. everyone's home environment is ideally set up for work um, I think there, there's going to be some positive consequences of it. I, I think it's hopefully flexible working, hybrid working is here to stay. Mm. And I think it's put more power into people's hands to say, actually, this is what would work best for me. Mm. And, and this is what I need at this stage in my career, mm. because one size really doesn't fit all. Mm. I think as a team, we were already working remotely a lot of the time. And as a working mum, you know, I, I wanted to build that into to this business intentionally from the beginning. And it was quite self-selecting in terms of who would want that set up and join the team, knowing that that that's how we work um, but we would have had more co-working days if it hadn't been for COVID, for COVID so we're yeah. looking forward to that again mm. yeah and I did definitely. notice in your team um correct me if I'm wrong but did someone like move to Germany and there's like mm-hmm. I feel like and you've moved out of London yeah. and um I wonder if is, is that quite pretty inclusive if people mm. can actually be maybe closer to the type of environment I know it's a privilege as well yeah. to move where we want to move so yeah just recognizing that but um but yeah, that's interesting that that not every business would want everyone to be less mm. accessible when we can yeah. go back. Yeah, I know. I know. So I, I think I've, I've been very much led by where the team want to be and what would work best for their their setup personally as well as professionally. And I think you know, Eva's moving out to Berlin this week, in fact, and has already been thinking about focusing more on the Dach region where there's a huge amount of work to do on inclusion and diversity. You know, they've just bought in a quota for women on board. So mm. I'd say, you know, a, a long way to go still. <laughs> um, and and, and that, so that's really exciting. It's both a sort of personal and a professional move. And I think that would be great for the business. And, you know, if I think anyone else on the team would, would want to move, I'd always be supportive of it. And I think we've shown what's possible this year. So... Mm. I think it'll be lovely to overlap in person, but we don't, we won't need it as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of, so you talked about open communication, you talked about people driving those changes. Mm. How do you facilitate that as a leader? How, I mean, I imagine it's partly in your mode and the way you receive suggestions, but do Mm. you like, how do you best kind of let people drive that type of stuff in the organization? Mm. 
I think just being really clear on where you're going as a business. I, my, I see my role as a vision setter and an enabler to get to that vision. And I know I cannot get to that vision without an incredible team, a team that's motivated, that um, is pulling in the same direction, really understands what we're going for and why. And at the same time can live their lives, you know, have the lives that they want to have. And so our conversations, any catch-ups that we're having as a team, but and also one-on-ones is about that holistic view of, what do you want and where do you want to go, you know, alongside what the business is is doing? Mm. Yeah. So kind of really helping it satisfy those personal objectives alongside yeah. your business vision. I think it feeds, it definitely feeds into one another mm. without a doubt. Yeah. And are there any disadvantages to that? And then, I mean, I, I see you as a very, it sounds like quite a facilitatory leader, someone who would want to use the word enabler, which I think mm. is a nice word. Are there any are there any challenges with that? Is there anything that makes it actually harder? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 a bit more complicated. It can be, you know, there's a little bit more to figure out and to solve for. But I think the level of commitment and buy-in that, you know, and, and relationship ultimately, because, you know, building any close relationship, it's, it's open communication, it's give and take, you know, there's different chapters and seasons for everyone so I think I approach that topic in the same way with with the team but it's yeah it's not straight if I wanted to just get certain goals achieved and and see people more as like just getting to those goals and not as people with their own lives that I want to be really fulfilled and happy then yeah I mean maybe it would be easier in some ways but I I think it's less sustainable I think it's less fulfilling uh I think it's less enjoyable Mm. yeah it's interesting the sort of basis of relationships as leadership that that, that you know the traditional model is is hierarchical mm. and and uh, it's interesting that a sort of it feels like a modern model is is more about the connection and like if you care about someone you mm. want to help them both ways business yeah. and personal yeah. and like wh- why wouldn't I let you do that if it's not going to make a big difference to the business and even if it is maybe we can still talk about it yeah and also I mean I think everyone wants slightly different things so just having that level that ability to talk about what you want and why and understanding each other's different personalities and backgrounds and what they want you know what 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 success looks like for them that's that's important to understand the differences um in a team and that takes time that takes numerous conversations mm. and things change as well <laughs> so. yeah and, and, and is it also I mean I imagine your hiring must be pretty you must be really looking for a certain type of person that mm. that would be entrusted with because mm. it sounds like you want to enable you mm. want to be like take the reins on this or tell mm. me what you need or so how, how are you how are you finding the, the people you need in your business yeah, well, we definitely have to practice what we preach about about the process, you know, what an objective and robust hiring process is that's going to um, be you know, good and attractive for diverse talent. Um, and we're actually hiring at the moment, so we're just coming to the end of one of a process. So it, it's, it's been great. First of all, I mean, get it out to as many different networks and channels as possible. Um, make sure you're very clear on the skills-based assessment, so with the skills that you're looking for. And I think when it comes to that, 
um, empowering culture. You know, it's one of our values. So we definitely ask questions uh, around that. Um, how much? What in- sort of yeah? What sort of questions would you ask around? Yeah. What yeah. sort of initiative have you taken? You know, in roles in the past, and we want to hear some storytelling about mm. what they might have done or started, and how they they've developed that. Because we are still a startup. You know, when we're in growth mode, so I need people that are really wanting to take initiative and want to take the reins. You know, mm. um, uh, but but very collaborative so a huge emphasis on team everyone's working in in small teams all of the time and actually our teams overlap quite a lot so I think we put quite a lot of emphasis on teamwork Mm. um and then we have you know having a case study round so having a simulation of what it would be like to do the job you know you know send get people to think about that do a piece of work that they would do if they were a member of the team and then come back and present that and talk about that and get that sense of what it would be like to work together and have a discussion, you know, sort of discussion that we'd have on a project. So that so much comes out of that. And um, I love reference checking. Mm-hmm. always do loads of reference checking. Yeah. <laughs> Conversations to find out. Yeah, yeah, formal and informal references. It's good to get as wide a variety of perspectives on people and how they work and how they think, mm. yeah. And I wondered also, so, so you're, recruiting some of the, the best people you you can I imagine that's a great starting point so as an enabler um someone that wants to empower people wants them to take the reins um you've set a bit of a vision so people can kind of see where this is heading for there's a you're gathering that buy-in is there anything and this has come up on the podcast before do, is there a danger that people start getting too big for their boots or or driving things in slightly different directions you said it something like about open communication and keeping people together and I wonder how you do that like yeah. practically yeah. because I guess there's a, a fine line between yeah, enabling and then like hang on a minute where's this yes <laughs> yes yes mm-hmm. I, I mean I'm, I love OKRs so I, I run the business with OKRs and um, business-wide OKRs and then individual OKRs that link in so objectives and key results, I'm sure very familiar with it. But I find that really, really helpful for very um, transparent, clear goals that we have as a as a business, as a team, and then as individuals. And then we just regularly touch on those. What how how have things changed? How has this gone? Is this quite right? Have we captured this correctly? So quarterly reviewing of those helps to sort of tweak and adjust around what everyone's doing and, and how we're doing as a business. So yeah, we I mean the OKRs have been brilliant this year because very quickly, you know, when we looking at them in February, it was like, right, well, we're obviously gonna have to change a few things. And we were thinking of actually moving into an office and decided that that doesn't make sense at all. Um, And we were thinking of running training from that office space. It was like, nope, everything's gonna go digital now. And so because, uh, you know, then we changed what we were doing, it was it was really relevant. And then we obviously put some targets around that. So we were able to, to I think deliver fantastic mm. results actually yeah that's great yeah and I've seen firsthand some of your online um training and and sessions so so yeah I would definitely acknowledge that and we, we, this was a conversation we had before as well about you mentioned this kind of quarterly reviewing process because again traditional models might be like an annual review and you said you're mm. not really keen on that process because it's mm. could be so far from mm. where you were last year so mm. so yeah is, is this more in touch reviewing about how your job is going is that 
is that a quarterly process or, a, mm. or, or even a more regular process? Yeah, more, re- more regular than that, ideally. I mean, as regular as you can get it. And, and I'd like us as a company to get even better at doing that next year and thinking about different ways of capturing that data of, you know, great performance or, you know, innovation, the things that we really want to encourage um, in, in the team. Uh, there's just a risk for a lot of biases to come in if it's saved up until the end of the year mm. you're going to have uh, you know, a lot of peak end effect bias and recency bias the way our memories work that you remember the things that are right at the high or the low of the experience or that have most recently happened and it's actually a struggle if you think across a whole year to really remember what's gone well or what was more challenging what you did about it so um, getting that regular data capture is, is essential and then having the opportunity to talk about it so it's not just enough to capture it I think there's got to be an opportunity to think okay so what does this mean how is it going what did you know what could we learn from this mm. um, and and take the real benefits on a more regular basis mm. Mm. so is there a kind of structure to those conversations or how, how does that really um how's that really play out yeah, I think it's about having short you know, check-ins and catch-ups and having the team-wide um, weekly meeting, actually just looking quickly at the OKRs, how, how they're going, anything that we want to adjust, always have a section for any company updates that would then link in link into mm-hmm. that, um, which is which is a really good opportunity. And then just regular one-on-ones, and, and we, we, you know, we talk a lot by WhatsApp. There's a lot of voice notes that go around. <laughs> um, and... And, you know, Google Drive is just an absolute lifesaver. I mean, we, we, we collaborate on all of our documents and there's a lot of exchange of ideas that go through hmm. through so that platform for us. So I'm getting a bit of a feel now for this open communication. So it, mm. this kind of voice notes, regular check-ins on your objectives and how this links mm. into the bigger business. Mm. You've got your team daily catch-ups you're doing or mm. regular catch-ups. Mm. And, and that sort of one-to-one relationship, I feel a lot of leaders find find some of it a bit of a drag like all this Mm. one-to-one stuff but Mm. yeah it also feels like some of the most valuable time they could spend I wonder if you have an opinion there oh my I I really do because I um I I, I've definitely felt in the past like I'm not a very good manager I'm a better leader like I love the vision and the strategy like that just brings me to life and then I realized well I just need to bring everyone into that because everyone benefits from seeing what the vision is for the business what the strategy is and how they can really be fully integrated and part of that and help you know that's win-win ultimately that's win-win so every time I'm having a conversation I think well this is this is the value I'm bringing what, what are they really excited about you know if they're particularly particularly excited about you know our, our candidate community and the relationships that we have with the candidates and they want to do more on that then let's spend time talking about that and thinking about it and how can I how can I sort of help support that so I think taking away some of the formulas for the conversation is quite good but having an overarching structure of the regularity and how you're going to do it like an OKR or some sort of system like that Mm. that you can work with is particularly helpful and do you think about at all about how you balance sort of personal catch-up versus work catch-up? Or does that kind of sort of blend into a conversation depending on how much time you have? Or, <laughs> I no. think I need, like my team would say, I mean, I just I just so love our work. I, can't, I mean, I, I know a lot of what's happened with the team and we do talk about personal stuff so much because people have children. One of the team got married this year. You know, there's a lot of other things going on, but it's it's always blended in some with work. I mean, 
I, I, you know, I have to stop myself talking about work because I love it so much and I'm so excited about what we're doing. So, mm. so you can keep <laughs> the team will probably be like, Hepsi can't shut up about work. <laughs> <laughs> we're all very happy chatting about other things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guess that passion must come through yeah. with, with the vision that you've set. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I've got a big vision for what what I you know what I think is possible, and and also how I think the world is changing. I just deeply think the world is changing. Mm. Yeah, and that vision that you it, I can feel it feels quite big actually. Just <laughs> hearing you say it, and it'd be interesting if we had longer to explore more. But um, how does that feel for you? Like, does it feel, do you ever feel like a pressure with that? Or is it just very sort of opportunistic? Like, I'm just wondering how you manage your own, like, sort of mind with that. Like, mm. is that, you know, as a sort of serial entrepreneur and someone that, mm. you know, has a lot of wishes about how the world could be different or how mm. business could be different. Like, how, how does that sit with you to have? Yeah, I find it really energising, actually. And I'm writing a book at the moment about the work that we're doing partly because I just feel I have so much that I want to communicate on it and it's so helpful to structure it in a way that could be shared more broadly even you know beyond the, the clients that we're working with so um it, it's it's energizing for me it, of course there can be times where it's pressurizing but I always I don't know somehow manage to turn that into something that becomes energizing mm. again um mm. yeah that sounds quite a useful practice turn something that could be you know it could be a burden into something interesting yeah yeah and a lot of that is through you know personal practice my own personal practice you know I do a, a lot of journaling I've journaled for 12 years now and um, I know we were talking about coaching before we started recording but you know I've worked with uh, coaches a number of coaches brilliant coaches um I've worked with three different therapists I have a spiritual director I mean, I, there's, there's, I have amazing mentors. We have an incredible advisory board. It, all this wisdom and support that is around the team, the vision and, and me, I think that is a, a, such a sort of virtuous circle in a way. Mm. And I was just going to ask you about how you, how you look after yourself, how you support yourself. Mm. It sounds like quite a nice community around, mm. around your work. There really is. There's an incredible community around the work. We're so, we are so grateful for that. I am so grateful for that. Um, and how do I look after myself? I, I, I love exercising and being outdoors. I love running and getting Percy, the little spaniel's been great for going out into fresh air for walks. Um, and I love just playing with my son you know, playing rugby or cricket together. I mean, he's only five, but I just like being outside with him. Yeah. It's like it's my fun. level of cricket, actually. Five it's also my level yeah. of cricket. He's really impressed with my overarm bowling at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. So exercise. Nature, fresh air. Nature, support. Mm. Journaling. Mm. Sh- just sharing with people that I'm close to. I have an amazing family. I'm really fortunate. Mm. I was playing with my 91-year-old grandpa over Zoom. We were playing bridge last night. Oh, wow. That sounds very therapeutic. It was amazing fun. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And was there anyone in your family or past that's kind of influenced this kind of... It feels like interesting hearing your parents were missionaries, which I imagine would feature in this 
answer but it feels like there is a very strong sense of purpose but also a very strong sense of business focus mm. and and that's a not a nice balance to hear yeah is there anyone else that um mm. that kind of stands out as an influence mm. to you mm. yeah i mean so so many different influences my family's basically made up of priests teachers and business people and I feel like I'm sort of in some way combining all of those in the work that I'm doing channeling the ancestors um yeah there's been some hugely influential teachers definitely Uh, I think you know teachers are just amazing aren't they I don't feel I'm patient enough to be a teacher but I have such admiration them and uh and yes my my dad started the first theological college in Zaire and one of his first students became the Archbishop of Congo and he's called Isangoma and Isangoma and his wife Magisa have been an amazing influence on me I mean that their community building in that country is second to it's amazing their reconciliation work that they've done post the genocide in Congo I mean they are true inspirations to me if I think I'm having a hard day um, I can just remember them and know that it's not, it's not that hard and it's all possible. A big thank you to Hepsi for that interview. For me, Hepsi brings a wonderful mix of business focus and ethical drive. I think she does that balance amazingly. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Ruth Frenger and now we've rebranded, I can say I'm founder of Conscious Leaders and that feels really good. We're a leadership development consultancy and we help leaders build a calm, collaborative, and productive workplace through coaching and training. You can find out more at consciousleaders.org.uk.